Today is Easter, Resurrection Sunday, and you heard before that Christ is risen, and he has risen indeed. Easter, as we so often call it, uh, does not begin with the events preceding Friday or even with what we call Palm Sunday, which is Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And we're going to find out today that Easter begins way before that. So if you would please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. Looking at the first verse and following. Now after the Sabbath, as it begun to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with, great, with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. Now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while he was asleep, while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And the story has been widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we've just gone through the last couple of days, and uh, Lord, there is a, a shadowy feeling about uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, Lord, there's a, there's a darkness in our hearts and our minds because of the events of those days. Father, then we come upon, upon Easter Sunday. Lord, all, all the darkness, all the shadowy feelings that we have, Father, are, are, are cast away. Because we realize that Christ is risen. So now, Lord, as we 
as we look at your word, I pray, Father, that uh, first of all, Lord, that uh, you will take over for this, this message I'm about to share. And the people will, will, will hear you, will hear your word, not necessarily what I have to say, Father, but what you have to say to them in their hearts. Lord, speak to the people here, Father. Lord, if there's a soul here that uh, is in need of you, Lord, I pray that today is, that as you pursue them, Father, that you should overtake them, draw them to yourself, bring them into your kingdom, Father. Uh, save them, secure them, seal them, Lord, to the very day of redemption. I ask in Christ's name, amen. Easter begins... Not on Easter Sunday, not on Palm Sunday, not on the triumphal entry day. Easter begins in eternity past. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, listen to these words of Peter as he's preaching his first message. He says, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. It was in the Father's, the Father's will from the beginning of time. That Christ should come and he should be the propitiation for our sins. That means that he would bear not only our sins, but he would bear his Father's wrath as well. The, the cross is just, not, is just not a picture of our sins. The cross is a picture of Jesus bearing his Father's wrath. And, but there's something else to this cross. It is, it is not just a picture of, 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 of sin. It is not just a picture of God's wrath, but it is a picture of God's plan. And Jesus being obedient to that plan. The, the, the most important reason why Jesus went to the cross is not simply just because he was going to save us. The most important reason for Jesus going to the cross is his obedience to his Father. It's a picture of obedience. This is, this is, what, God, this is what God needed in order for you and I to get to be here today. And say that he is risen. And say that our hope is in him. And because he's resurrected, then we will be resurrected. And so that, that plan of God presses forward into creation. From eternity past into creation and, to the, and to, the, uh, to the fall of man. Where we find God's promise to send a deliverer for, for our sins in Genesis 3.15. You see, it began in eternity past and it continues to press forward. It keeps on pressing forward and still presses forward to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That is what we call Christmas, the birth of Jesus. And it is here that we find that there is rejection. Even when he was born, there is human rejection. This is not the kind of Messiah we want. We want a different Messiah. In John 1.1, 1, 1, we read these words. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. All through history, there has been a rejection of the Messiah of God, the Christ of God. One after the other, after the other, after the other. So you see, if it was easy to reject him when he came initially... When he, came, when he came what we call Christmas time, if it was easy to reject him then, it would be just as easy to reject him now. But still the question remains, what has all this got to do with Easter and Christ's resurrection anyway? First of all, let me say this. 
We should all agree that his birth, that Jesus came as the God-man. It's called the incarnation. Jesus is the God-man. It was a mystery to the people. The Jews rejected him repeatedly, and we read of this all through the gospel accounts. They continue to reject him. In fact, even today, many reject him. They say that this is not the Messiah. Listen, if they rejected Christ, the Emmanuel, the God with us, at his initial coming, would it be any surprise that they would reject any evidence of his reappearance after his death? It's easy to doubt and deny and reject when we, when we form in our own minds that this is the way it's supposed to happen. And we, we calculate, we, we analyze the way things ought to be. And Jesus doesn't look like the Messiah. I don't see Jesus riding on a, on a white stallion and leading a charge against the armies of Rome. That's what they're looking for. We need someone who's going to sit on the seat of David and be in charge and dismiss all of our enemies. We're looking for someone who is going to bring Israel back into prominence. We're not looking for a savior from sin. We're looking for a savior who can satisfy our own desire. His Resurrection was doubted and denied from the very day it occurred. In, in Matthew chapter 28, we just read this, but look at verses 13 and 15. Matthew 20, 13 and 15. It says, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And look at 15. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Even to this day of the year 2023, there is still rejection. There is still doubt. There is still denial that this is the Messiah. But what has got, this got to do anything about, I talked about, he was at creation. That Easter begins at creation even. Uh, let's examine the resurrection of Jesus. Should we view it as the dawning of a new day? Or a new era? Or a new beginning? What do you think about when you see the resurrection of Jesus? I would like for us to look at for just a moment uh, or so the, the, the work of God in creation. Because I want to tie creation into resurrection. I want to tie God's creation of things that are. I want to tie it into what we see at resurrection. So if you would... Let's just look at a few things. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2, it says this, God rested on the seventh day. Now, what is the seventh day? When Jesus died on that Friday evening, he rested, as it were, all through the seventh day, the Sabbath. Isn't, isn't the seventh day the Sabbath day? It's a Saturday for us. We call it the Sabbath. They call it the Sabbath day. He then arose on the first day of the week, Sunday. God rested, listen, God rested on the seventh day. And on the first day, there's resurrection. I don't know much about music, but I do know this because I read it. <laughs> that on a piano... Every eighth key is the same as the first key. Is that not, is that not correct? Am I, am I correct? 
Somebody knows, that's correct, isn't it? It's just a different octave, but it's, a, it's the, same, it's the same, same key, isn't it? Same thing. Every eighth, every eighth key is the same as the first. It is just a new beginning. It is a new beginning. You start all over again. When Jesus Christ arises on Sunday... It is a new beginning. It is a new creation, a recreation. It is something new. God rested on, Jesus rested on that seventh day, on that Saturday. He's in the tomb. But on Sunday, there is a new creation, resurrection, new life. Something happened on that Sunday. Now, pay close attention. When God created on that first day, what did he create? Let there be light. When Jesus began his public ministry, when Jesus began his public ministry, what did he produce for humanity? In Matthew 4, 16, Jesus is just starting his public ministry. It says, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great what? Light. Jesus is called the light of the world. When Christ began his ministry, light dawned upon humanity. Jesus' appearance into the world is light. His public ministry is light. God created light. Jesus coming into this world is light that shines in darkness. Folks, Easter begins way before Easter Sunday. In his resurrection on that first day of the week, on that day when human hearts would find real hope for their lost sinful condition, what did they first see on the first day? Matthew 28, 3 says, and his, that is the angel appearance, was like what? Was like lightning. There's something to know about this. Here we find a, a, a visual appearance and a verbal announcement that mankind has once again come into a new day, a new era, a new creation. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, what does Paul talk about? He says, he says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, becomes a new creation. We have a new creation. There's a new covenant. When Jesus arises from the dead, a new covenant begins. The angel says, he is not here, for he has risen. Oh, folks, listen. We have the fact of his being the light of God at his birth. At his birth, We have the fact of his being the light of God as he begins his ministry. We have the fact of his bringing the light, bringing the light of God at his resurrection. But we still have the problem that people still refuse to believe. Look at verses 11 through 13 of our text. 11 through 13. Now, while they were on their way, some of the guard came to the city and reported to the chief priests. All that has happened. They were there. They were kind of like apoplectic shock, but they were there. And when they had assembled with their elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. Let me, let me buy you a testimony. Let me, let me buy one for you. And they said, you are, this is this what we want you to say. His disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. That's the story. That's just, even to this very day, that's the story. 
But there is still so much more to learn about Christ's death and resurrection. And Matthew, if you would, Matthew chapter 27. I want you to look at verse 51 to begin with. In Matthew 27, 51, it says, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And it says, listen to this, The earth shook and the rocks were split. Now go down to verse 54. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening became very frightened and said, truly this was the Son of God. We have an account of an earthquake taking place. An earthquake. It is as, it is as if the ground at his crucifixion opened up as if the ground had opened up to receive his body. And then in Matthew 28 and verse 2, it is as if the ground again opens up for the second time. The second earthquake opens up again so it could discharge his body. It opens up and receives him, and it opens up and discharges him. What a picture. In John chapter 1 and verse 3, let me, let me just tell you what I'm thinking over here. In John chapter 1 and verse 3, this is what we we read from from the apostle. It says, all things, listen folks, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Why is that important? It is, isn't it as if the Lord himself has said that the very rocks would cry out that Jesus Christ is God. You remember reading that? In his triumphal entry, he says, if these people don't don't praise me, even the rocks would cry out. Think of this. If, If God's delivering Israel out of Egypt had demanded so much attention through the ages, and it does, people celebrate the fact that God had delivered Israel out of Egypt. They celebrate it every year. Every year it's celebrated. How much more? How much more should God's delivering his church from the very pits of devil's hell be celebrated by us today? We we look at this time of the year and and, and we think of millions of people talk about the fact that Egypt had held Israel captive. Now God had... God had severed the hand of Egypt now, has let Israel go and they're delivered. But folks, more important than that, think of this, you and I were held bondage to sin. We belong to the devil. We belong to Satan. Listen, we were held bondage to hell itself. And God delivered you. God delivered you. Should that not be celebrated? Every time we come to worship, the the churches of America should be full every Sunday because every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday. The churches of God, God's churches should be full so people can hear the story over and over and over again that we were held captive to Satan and hell itself and death and God set us free. But where are we? I dare say that most of our churches on any given Sunday are more empty than full. Where's the celebration? Where is the celebration that should be in our hearts that every Sunday we can come and say, Lord, thank you for delivering me. 
You recreated in me a new person, and I'm here to celebrate the fact that I'm a new person in Jesus Christ. The old things have passed away. New things have come. That the very light that Jesus, that Jesus is, is has shown in my heart, and I'm a new person. I don't walk in darkness, I walk in light. I don't walk with death, I walk with life. I don't walk in the past, I walk with the new life that I have. I have a resurrected life, you have a resurrected life. Every Sunday should be that. But unfortunately, there is so much more to do. Maybe there's a ball game to attend. Maybe it's a good opportunity to sleep in or we should mow the lawn. That's much more important than celebrating the Christ who died for us and rose again. In Matthew 27 again, look at Matthew 27 verse 64. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead and the last session be worse than the first. Keep that in mind, but look at verse 2 of our text also. 28.2, behold, a severe earthquake had occurred and an angel, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. Two separate accounts of something. You say, how do you, how do you blend these two things together? So if Jesus is God, and God can do anything, if, God, if Jesus is God and God can do anything, why did he need an angel to roll away the stone from the tomb? Is that a good question? If God can do anything, and if Jesus is God, why did he need an angel to roll the stone away? Well, here the, here's the answer. Jesus didn't break out of the tomb. He was let out of the tomb. Do you see their reasoning that they think that somehow... That this body was going to be stole, uh, stolen. Somebody's going to steal this body. That the disciples were going to come and take this thing away. If Jesus just simply broke out of the tomb. Even, have, you, have you read about the fact that there are people that think that Jesus in that cold, cold tomb, damp, that he revived? <laughs> he revived this crucifixion and, and he got better and he pushed his way out. Have you, have you read this? No, this, this has been around for years and years and years and years and years that Jesus revived. He resuscitated in that cold, cold, dark, damp room, the tomb. And he somehow managed, even in his emaciated state, I mean, all the blood has gone out of him, but somehow he got better. You know, it's kind of like being dead, but you got better. He got, and, he, and he pushed this massive stone out of the way, as strong as he is at that point. And, uh, you know, to this very day, to this very day, people believe that. Jesus didn't break out. He was let out. This is nothing more than heaven itself discharging Christ from his tomb. 
one of God's attendants, by and under God's authority, had removed the seal that man had hoped should hold Christ captive. Death's prison door has been opened, and Jesus Christ is the first to resurrect from sin's grip. And then someday, folks, it'll be you and I who will resurrect also. In 1 Corinthians chapter, in 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, chapter, uh, verses 20 and 23, listen to this. Paul talking about the order of the resurrection. He says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. That means of all the people who died, Jesus Christ is the first to resurrect. There's been others who've been resuscitated from death, like Lazarus, but nobody but Jesus is the first to resurrect. That means when you resurrect from death, you die no more. Resurrection means there's no more death. Jesus is the first to resurrect And he says, for since by man came death, and by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. Guess what, folks? You and I are going to die. You know, I I discovered something just a couple days ago. I looked in the mirror, and I don't look the same as I did when I was 20. (laughs) Actually, when I was 20, I actually had hair. And a lot of it. But... That weighed bye-bye. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But listen to this. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. After that those who are Christ at his coming. You as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are going to resurrect. Whether, whether it be caught up in the air in a rapture or whether you die and someday Christ is going to come and resurrect you from the grave. One of God's attendants, an angel let him out. All, all the powers of hell, death, sin, and Satan could not hold Christ in his grave. The God of light and life has been freed from death. And friends, you and and me and all who are in Christ shall be free from the same grip of death. And Paul writes, listen, Paul writes, he says, O death. Where is your victory, O death? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We go from captivity to liberation, and from liberation we move on to verses 19 and 20, and we're going to close this out looking at verses 19. We go from, from, from liberation, we go to commission. Now that you've been liberated, you know, there's a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians, when they are liberated from death, when they're liberated from Satan and his grip, when they're liberated from hell itself, a lot of Christians sit down and wait for God's spiritual bus come pick them up. That we do nothing. Nothing. kind of like it's a person who says you want to witness to somebody say 
wouldn't you want to be a Christian? You know, so what is a Christian? What is a Christian? Well, we don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't dance, we don't chew, we don't go with people who do. <laughs> wouldn't you want to be one of those? Yeah. Heavens, no. Would you want to be that? What is a Christian where we just kind of sit here, wait for God, come pick us up? Is that what you want to be? Is that really what you want to be? Just waiting for God, come pick you up. Jesus in Matthew 28, 19, 20 gives his disciples and his church this commission. He says, go. He didn't say sit. He says, go make disciples. Go make disciples. Jesus, by virtue of both his person and his redemptive work, here asserts his authority and his sovereignty and has all power and all authority and all the right to command his followers to go with a message of the gospel to all the world. And listen, friends, Jesus did not say, I don't care, I don't care what anybody will tell you. This is, if they tell you this, they're wrong. Jesus never said, save them. He never said, convert them. He never said, justify them. He never said, convict them. That's God's job. Your job and my job is to tell them and do what? Disciple them. You and I can't save anybody. Have, have you ever seen one of your converts? Have you ever converted anybody? Have you, have you ever justified anybody? Have you, have you ever convicted anybody? That's God's job. We're to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. And then when that person comes to Christ, we're supposed to disciple them. A disciple is simply one who follows his or her master. And we have Jesus' idea of being a disciple in Luke 9, 23. He says, if anyone... If you want to be a disciple, folks, here it is right here. In one verse, Jesus, this is what a disciple is. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and do what? Follow me. Got to follow him. This means that we are not to waste our time in the concerns of this world. And by this, we will not be so desirous in wanting this world's applause or approval. We should care less if the world applauds us or approves of us. I have uh, told some pastor, pastor friends of mine that my job, any pastor's job, is not to relate to the people. Every time the culture changes, I've got to relate to that group of people. We'll be changing every day. You're gonna, we're going to keep on changing. So when, when, the world, when the world says, hey, the, the, the new fashion style is nude, you know, attire is optional. Is that what we're going to do? Our job is not to relate to this culture, not to relate to this world. Listen, your job and my job, we are to relate to Jesus Christ. We are God's ambassadors, not the world's ambassadors. We're God's ambassadors. Look, act, talk like you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ, not the world. Man, if you're going to follow the culture, you're going to be changing every day.
This world's opinion of us is not what causes us to have a sense of worth. Our worth, our value is found on the fact that, number one, that we are created in the image of God. We are created in the image of God. And second, that we were recreated by the new birth through the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration. Therefore, again, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she becomes a new creation, new creature. Old things have been passed away. Behold, new things have come. There's a recreation that takes place. And finally, by the way, when you become a Christian, you start putting on a new resurrected life, don't you? You're raised to walk in newness of life. And finally, Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. The Great Commission involves a cross. I think I used this illustration again, but because some of you haven't heard us before, I think I'll say it again. There are many places, if, if you travel along the road and you go through streets and parking lots and things like that, there's a little sign. It's, it's a white sign with red letters. It says, cross traffic does not stop. Have you ever seen that sign? Cross traffic does not stop. Listen, folks, spiritualize this. Cross traffic does not stop. If you are bearing the cross of Jesus Christ in your life, it does not stop. It continues on. It goes on and it goes on and it goes on until, listen, until you walk that last step and God calls you on to glory. Cross traffic does not stop. The cross is a path to death, dead to what we were and then raised to become that which Christ calls us to be. My friend, I close with this. Is that you? Are you a cross bearer? Are you a disciple? Are you a follower of Jesus? He is risen. Are you risen with him? Are you risen to walk in newness of life? If you're not, we invite you today to come to know Jesus Christ. You know, this is really not my invitation. It's God's invitation to you. We're just, we, we just have this opportunity right now Right now, folks, listen, right now where you are, if you have never in your life said, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I, I, I repent of my sin. I'm so sorry for my sin. And Lord, I want to be a follower of yours. I want you to come into my life. Listen, fo- folks, the reason you're doing that is because the Holy Spirit is working in your life right now, convicting you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's God's job. If today you're saying, Pastor, I want to become a Christian. Just because you have that desire to be a Christian, God's already done a work in your life. You're already there.